1 Samuel chapter number 1, 2, and 3 this morning. Because as you take into consideration the context of what is taking place in her life, the country in which she's living, the circumstances that she's facing, you find that there is so much faith in this mother and what she is doing as she is praying for a child. And this morning, there there are many mothers here that are represented. And some of you, as you go and you read through Scripture, there are some things that you're going to find in this story that we're going to read this morning that you might even say, you know what, I've been there. I've done that. I'm currently doing this, or I'm praying about this, or I'm seeing what the Lord will do concerning this, whatever the case might be. But as you come to 1 Samuel chapter number 1, 2, and 3, I believe the Word of God just kind of opens up to us this morning. Maybe you're a mother here, and maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're encouraged, but you're, you're really just kind of looking back and you're reflecting. Or, or maybe you're in the midst of a season where you're not quite a mother yet, but you're praying about that, if it would be the Lord's will, or whatever the case might be within your own life. And you might find in the midst of this story, this passage, some encouragement. There are a lot of strong statements in 1 Samuel chapter 1. As you walk through the, 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 the passage of Scripture, I mean, it starts off in a powerful way. The very first words give us some insight into the context of where we are. Notice the very first words of 1 Samuel chapter 1, the word is now. And as we're going to see here in a few moments, it's going to give us some background into the season and into the country in which she's living and, and all of that that is surrounding her circumstances. And so notice with me this morning, as a mother, you might be here and mothers have many different characteristics about them. As you begin to think about a mother, some of you might right this very moment, you're trying maybe uh, to be a mother that is a godly mother. You ought to be. Uh, You ought to be seeking to be a godly mother, one that pleases God and one that is used as a servant, a leader, wise, loving, pure, obedient, good, all of those many characteristics. You ought to strive for those things. And maybe you're here this morning and you're that mother that is the fun mother. The one that is, is always there and, and people notice you as the mom who's always just goofy and fun and energetic and always has the, the, the snacks or the activities or whatever the case might be. Maybe you're here this morning and you're considered the understanding mother, the one who's, who's always trying to see all sides of the situation and, and try to be someone who can kind of be a part of it. Maybe you're the serious mother. It's just always business. There's no fun and games. It's just we're, we're, we're serious about things. And maybe you're the nurturing mother, not always right, but you, you can always know that you, your mother loved you or that you loved them. Maybe you're the praying mother, the mom who, who is always faithfully given to prayer and continuing to pray. Truth of the matter is, all of the mothers that I just described, you mothers, there, there needs to be some balance in all of those areas. You ought to be the fun mother. You ought to be the nurturing mother. You ought to be the, the, the serious mother. You ought to be the understanding mother. You ought to be the, the, the praying mother. You ought to be the godly mother. And this morning as you come to 1 Samuel, there are so many strong statements that are found in this passage of Scripture. In verse number 5, notice what the Bible says, But unto, but unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion. What a strong statement right there. For he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. 
As you continue walking on down, you begin to get a little more familiar with this passage of Scripture. You get familiar with Hannah, and you get familiar with the circumstances that she's facing and the, the season of life that she's in. And as you come to verse number 19, it is one of the most encouraging verses, if you would, concerning the statement that is made at the end. The Bible says, And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. What a very powerful statement that is. As you continue walking on through this pastor scripture, you come to the very end, and this is a, a statement that you see on many plaques and many posters and, and different wall decor and some of these department stores. Verse number 27, for this child I prayed. The Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to be the Lord, with the, to the Lord. And as long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. And then let's take it a step further. Another strong verse is found in chapter number 2, verse number 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. There's a lot that's taking place here. A lot of powerful things. A lot of wonderful things. Verse number 26 of chapter number 22. I mean, chapter number 2, the Bible says, And the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. But we do well to understand everything this morning. Because sometimes if we just read the story, we begin to neglect where she's at right now. What she's going through is important, but what about the circumstances that are surrounding her? So notice with me four things this morning concerning this pastor scripture. Number one, we see her circumstances. Notice what the Bible says in verse number one of chapter number one. The Bible says, now... There was a certain man. That word now is important here this morning because it tells us concerning Hannah's praying, it occurred during a time which is very important. It occurred during a time, a period of the judges in Israel, specifically towards the end of the last century of four centuries of judges in Israel. And as you begin to read, you begin to get a little more familiar with this. For the most part, if you would, the land had sunk into moral decay. And had weakened wickedly in the nation. And we're going to see some of these things here in a few moments concerning her circumstances. The three areas that we're going to address concerning her prayer and everything that she is facing. And the circumstances in this season of where she's at right this moment. But you draw much encouragement in this passage of scripture. Because as you come and you go all the way back even to Judges. The Bible reminds us that during this time specifically, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So then we ask the question, we beg to ask the question, if every man was doing what was right in their own eyes and wickedness was prevailing and there was corruption and there was idolatry and there was all of these things going on, why did she feel the need to live such a righteous life? You see, there's a principle here. There's a there's a, a great truth here that even in the midst of all of what is going on, you don't have to, even when evil is prevailing and wickedness is abounding and circumstances are just moving and moving and more and more toward everything that is wicked and vile and disgusting, you, child of God, do not have to. You can stand out. You can be different. You go and you study in this time of what is taking place, and you'll find a man by the name of Boaz who married Ruth, and he was not the, the usual depiction, if you would. In Ruth chapter number 2 and 4, and specifically as well, Samuel's mother, these were individuals that dared to be different, if you would. 
I love those, those individuals in Scripture that when evil was prevailing and wickedness was everywhere as they turned to their left, they saw wickedness. When they looked ahead, they saw wickedness. When they turned to their right, they saw wickedness. It was everywhere that they turned. They said, the wickedness is everywhere. God is still faithful. God is still almighty. I'm going to be faithful. And that is what you see in her circumstances right here. You see, the Bible is very clear about all these things. In Romans 12, 2, the Bible says, and be not, what does it say? Conformed to this world. Listen now, as you go on and continue reading, it says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In Proverbs 1, 15, my son, walk not thou in the way of them, refrain thy foot from their path. Them that is speaking of is the wicked, those who go a certain way that seemeth right in their own eyes and in their mind. Psalm 1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So this mother here, the wickedness was all around her, and no doubt she was discouraged. As a matter of fact, we're going to find in chapter 1 that she was way past discouragement. As she begins to, to weep and mourn and everything that she is going through. There's one that we find in this story that begins to provoke her that we'll see here in a few moments. So imagine with me for just a moment. You're trying to be encouraged, but you walk outside the doors of your house and it's just evil after evil after evil right before your eyes. And all you want is a child. And there's an enemy over here. There's one that's provoking, one that is ridiculing, and they're just continuously provoking. And you still determine to remain faithful. It would have been easy for her to go a different direction, to go with the grain of the sand and just continue with the crowd that was doing all evil. But you see a humility about her. You see a a seriousness about her, if you would. And as you come to this passage of Scripture, I began to, to study a little bit deeper concerning this story and this passage of Scripture specifically. I was sharing with our Sunday School Hour just a few minutes ago that As you begin to think about Mother's Day, this is one of those situations where we find some biblical examples in Scripture that I believe, just so you know, men, this is not just for the ladies this morning. And there are some principles that we're going to see about this mother that ought to be in the the life of a father as well. But I began to really ask that question, what is it that mothers today are struggling with? What is it in our our day and age, in our modern day, right this very moment, what is it that we're finding mothers to really and truly be struggling with? Times have changed. In the 1900s compared to now, times were different. In the 1950s compared to now, times were different. So as you're bringing up a child right this very moment, I began to ask that question, what are mothers dealing with today? What are the concerns? What are the worries? What are the fears that they have right this very moment? Because as we come to this one word in verse number one of chapter one, now it gives us insight into the circumstances that she is facing. But what about your circumstances this morning? What are we seeing right this very moment? I began to, 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 to research just a little bit. And here are just some of the major things that mothers supposedly have said with surveys that they are dealing with concerning raising children in this day and age. Now, I don't know if these are accurate or not. I'm not a mother. I don't know the emotions that you, you, you battle sometimes. I don't know the, the feelings and the, the concerns and all that, but here are some of the ones that are major things that mothers supposedly are facing in the circumstances personally that they're going through. We understand concerning 
our society the drift, if you would. I mean, the moral decay is evident. The idolatry that we're going to see here in a few moments in Scripture, there is still idolatry today. There, there, there is much that we could go on and begin to talk about society and the circumstances in society, the disgusting things that we're seeing, laws that are being passed. We're seeing all of that. But what are you facing concerning your own life and some of the things you're concerned with? And here are just some of the top answers that were mentioned. The first one was mom guilt. Mom guilt. Time is flying by and you just can't seem to keep up. You, you've got things going on here. You've got things going on here. You wanted to make the right decision, but sometimes you feel as though you didn't. And, and so you have mom guilt that is going on in some of the mothers that they're struggling with in our modern day. Because one of the things we find to be true, and we're going to address this again here in a moment, is that one of the dangers with social media and life in general is that moms, concerning the mom guilt, they say, is that they begin to compare themselves. The mom guilt supposedly says that that mom does this for her child, but I can't provide this for my child. And so you begin to feel guilty about that. One of the things we find to be true concerning children is that more than presents, children just like your presents. They don't care about all the gifts sometimes. I go back in my own mind and I think about the memories that I had. And sure, I remember getting a basketball goal and I remember getting uh, a, 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 a bike at certain times. I remember getting certain toys or this or that. But you know what? I sent my mom a text message this morning and told her happy Mother's Day about it wasn't about all those gifts. It wasn't about all the gadgets that I had gotten. No, it was about very simply the memories that we made. Thankful that she was a mother that was always there for me. Always present. Always wanting to be there. Sleep deprivation. Number two. Mom's always on the fly and always going and going and going and trying to be there and sleep deprived, supposedly. Balancing life and family and work. You want your time, but you want your family time and you want some time to yourself. And it just is, you can't keep up. What are, what are mothers battling today in some of the circumstances outside of just the, the situations in our nation? Here's a big one, self-worth and image. What do my children think of me? What does my husband think of me? What do others think of me? And we ask the question this morning about the Lord. We always leave the Lord out of this. We always are so concerned with what others think about us. But what about God Almighty? What about Him? You see, we're living in a society that is so fast-paced that we think that we find our worth in our careers, and we find our worth in our social media account, and we find our worth if someone, as we walk through the doors of the church, someone notices us. But what about the Lord this morning? What about Him? And as we rest in Him and we begin to ask that question, what defines me? So many mothers asking that question as they struggle to navigate through this world. Mental overload. There's just so much on the mind expectations. And then the last one was balancing being a mom and being a friend. Can I share with you this morning, I've seen this in my wife and her mother's relationship. I've seen it with my mom and my stepsister's relationship that there was a season where they were mom. And now there's a season where they're friend and mom. Where at the end of the day, they're as close as can be and they have developed that friendship as things have, have grown and things have changed and they are the best of friends, but they are also, when they need mom, they call mom. Can I share with you tonight or this morning, moms, your children need you to be their mom. 
They, they don't need you to be the cool friend right now. They need you to be their mom. They need you to love on them. They need you to care for them. And as you study this passage of Scripture, we're going to find here in a few moments that this individual by the name of Hannah, she prayed for this child. She named this child. She stayed with this child. And she prepared this child. And we come to the end of the story, and we begin to realize in verse number 26 of chapter number 2, and the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with it. Why? Because of the preparation that took place in the home. The prayers that were evident in the home, the the staying with the child and caring for the child and, and bringing the child along. Why? Because their presence was needed and it played a factor. We're seeing in our day and age in society that there are so many parents and moms and dads both that just don't want to be parents. They need you. I look back, look, I come from a split home. I get it. I remember growing up and waking up and dad wasn't there, but I'm thankful that I had a stepfather that stepped in and said, hey, though your dad won't be here, I will be here. We need our parents in the home. We need them to be there and be present this morning. You find that to be the case with Hannah. And so we ask, what were the circumstances that she was facing? She was seeing some circumstances during the decay of idolatry. The idolatry that was taking place gripped the land of Israel at this time. There was a a problem that was frequently in this book of the Judges. Samuel led Israel to victory over the Philistines some years after, and he became Israel's leader and all those many things. As a matter of fact, there's a statement that is made that is to put the strange gods away. So you see idolatry during this time. We see idolatry today the strange God's way. You know, it's an amazing thing. We like to pick and choose what parts of the Bible we want to implement in our homes. And we like to pick and choose what parts of the Bible we want to to claim and not claim and this and this and this and this. And there there are many times when we begin to to be in all of the idolatry and all of the, the strange gods that we find to be discussed in Scripture. But there are many strange gods in our homes today. Many of us, if we're not careful, we begin to worship certain uh, television networks or certain devices or certain things and hobbies and all this, and they become such great idols within our lives. Illumination was a big thing. Notice what the Bible says in chapter number 3, verse number 1. The Bible says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. This is speaking of the illumination here. There was a, a no open vision, if you would. The word precious is, is from a, a word that very simply, specifically means to be rare, if you would. It wasn't something to take lightly. And as you begin to think about this, you begin to think about everything that was going on. The final thing that we begin to see is the indecency that was going on. So you, see, you see idolatry and illumination and indecency. And you begin to see that at all of this time, there were spiritual leaders that were worshiping and they were wicked, if you would. So all of this is going on. These are her circumstances concerning her country. What about her circumstances personally? Well, she was childless. And there was one that was constantly provoking her and making fun of her and ridiculing her. And she is having to hear this day in and day out. And she's going through all of these many things. So her circumstances in her country are not great. Her circumstances in her own personal life are not great. And she is still having to deal with it. So notice with me, number two, not only are circumstances, but I want you to really and truly understand everything that is going on. Notice when what the Bible goes on to tell us about her critic. Because in verse number six, the Bible says, and her adversary also provoked her. 
That word adversary speaks of an enemy. It speaks of one who troubleth, if you would. The word provoke speaks of being vexed, being grieved, if you would. The statement sore, it speaks of very simply sorrow and all of what she was going on for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. That word fret speaks of a persistent provoking, if you would, and what she is going through and the, the agitation that she is having because of that, that fretting, that agitation. And so as you begin to walk on down, you begin to see everything falling into place. In verse number seven, as he did, so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. Notice dad here. Notice husband here. Then sent Elkanah, her husband to her. Hannah, why weepest thou? Why eatest thou not? Why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? I wonder what the conversation was there. No, <laughs> you know. As a matter of fact, I'm going to prove it because I'm going to go to the Lord and pray. No, you're not. So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post in the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow. Go with me for just a moment. To Psalm 38, because I want you to see this, all of the emotions and all the feelings that she is battling here, you find in Psalm 38, as you read this Psalm here, you're introduced to the feelings, if you would, that she is facing. In its context, as you cross-reference over and you see in Scripture, verse number 8 of Psalm 38, the Bible says, I am feeble. And sore broken, I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. She is facing those exact, I am feeble and broken. She is struggling, she is beaten down, she is sorrowful. The Bible tells us in verse number 11, she vowed a vow. Now her critic here, as you begin to think about her critic, her critic is going to continue to say these things. As a matter of fact, in verse number 6, it reminds us of that because it says her adversary also provoked her sore to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. And it goes on and says, so she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat in verse number 7. And so you see the critic. You see everything that the critic is saying and everything that is going on. And you begin to see a twofold lesson here. Because there's two individuals that we begin to take note of. We begin to take note of Hannah, but we also begin to take note of another. And that individual is the other by the name of Panina. As you begin to think about this for just a moment, you begin to think about the blessing that she had. She had children. There was one individual who put it this way, how you handle your blessing shows what sort of character and faith you have. So many misuse their blessings and misuse causes the blessings to corrupt them. How tragic to let good things God gives us defile us. That is the definition of perverting a blessing. How many times do we do that? How many times in our own lives do we say, oh, we might not provoke someone by going up to them and talking to them specifically and provoking them. But oh, the many times when our own selfish pride begins to creep up and we think more highly of ourselves because of the blessings that God has given us. Can I share with you the last part of that statement? The blessings that God has given us. It is nothing we have done. It is nothing that we deserve, but it is a blessing because of anything that the Lord has given us, even in spite of who we are and what we have done. And so you think about that blessing and the misuse of that blessing and the perversion of that blessing. 
And so notice this critic for this moment. You ask the question in verse number eight, as he asked that, why weepest thou? Why eatest thou not? Why is thy heart greed? Why is all these things? Well, let's notice the cause of that for just a moment. There, there's a reason she provoked her. She's going through this. She is struggling through this. And as we made reference to over the last couple of years, uh, she does not want to, to provoke her back. She does not want to, to fight her. She does not want to fellowship with her. As a matter of fact, notice what she does in Scripture. The Bible tells us that she vowed a vow. She went straight to the Lord. She fled. She didn't pick this fight. One of the things we find to be true in the Christian life, and this is something in life in general, and I would share this piece of advice that has been given to me, not every critic deserves an answer, nor does every critic deserve a response. And far too often, we think we have to give a response or give an answer to someone who is criticizing us, someone who is provoking us, someone who is saying something about us. I, I, I don't deal with this often. Any of you, you, you men, you'll know what I'm talking about here. And uh, there, there are times whenever you will be driving and you'll just be, or you'll be at the house, whatever the case may be, and your, your wife will call you. And you'll be sitting there and you, you'll, you'll be thinking, you know, hey, wife's calling me, I'm going to answer this. And they, they get on the phone, they say, you will not believe what just happened. And uh, the very next words out of your mouth are, what? And she says, people are just so rude. I was in the grocery store and, and, and the person who was working, they just, they just were rude. Or another scenario, they call you. I, I was driving and, and this, 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 this person just swerved around me and flipped me off and stopped and just started yelling at me. Now the words that come out of my mouth when I hear that are, that just never happens to me. <laughs> and here's the reason why I think the Lord's prevent, pr- protecting me. I really do. You're called to pastor. You're called to preach. I don't need you doing something you don't need to be doing. And so I think he's protecting because it just never happens. And it literally is you're, you're getting those words. You're thinking that just why doesn't that happen when I'm around? Right. That just never happens, you know, or whatever the case might be. And you begin to think about all of those things. But she she was not willing to fight. She didn't want to fellowship. She just fled to the Lord. Not every critic deserves or requires a response from us. I've been criticized often over the last eight years since I started pastoring. I've been criticized at certain times, sometimes by a church member, sometimes by another individual, sometimes by another pastor, sometimes by a preacher, sometimes by someone I don't even have a clue who it is. And me and Kelly are, are two different people. Miss Kelly, she gets a little bit more upset about those things. And, and there have been times whenever most of our fights, when it's circulate, uh, circulating around that one situation, when someone has said something or whatever, I, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't care. And there are times whenever she'll look at me and say, how does that not bother you? And there are times when it might, but there are also times whenever I remember reading a, a statement and the statement was this, if you wouldn't take advice from them, why are you going to get offended by them? And that's a true statement. If I wouldn't take advice for them on the situation, why would I get offended by them about the situation? See, because every one of us has our own perception of what we think ought to be right. There have been times whenever I might have made a statement and I was wrong in making a statement. As a matter of fact, there have been times when no doubt I've criticized people before. And I guarantee you in that moment when I criticized someone that that person was probably thinking they were either upset with me or they might have been thinking, well, I wouldn't take your advice anyways. 
And so as you begin to think about our adversaries sometimes, our enemies sometimes, and the situation right here, notice her countenance. Her countenance is not all because of what is taking place because of the adversary, but it does have a part to do with it. Because as the statement has been made many times, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt. That is a false statement. Words do hurt. As a matter of fact, words hurt more sometimes than the stones. And so she's battling all this. The cause is justified, but she doesn't hold on to it. Notice what the Bible goes on and tells us in verse number six. Her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? Why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat at the, upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul. And prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. The struggle here that she is facing, notice with me not only the cause, but her countenance here. The Bible tells us that she did not eat. Why eatest thou not? Now, this is something that we could easily take for granted here. Have you ever been so sick on your stomach about a situation, about news that you had received that you just could not bring yourself to eat? You're sitting there at the dinner table, you're your family, or maybe you're out to eat with some friends, and uh, you just kind of say, you know what, I'm just not really hungry today. They might not know that you're battling something. They might not know that you're dealing with something, but they just know that you're not very hungry, and maybe your, your countenance is not what it ought to be, what would be normal if you would. Nehemiah was asked this question as he finds out about everything that is taking place back home. And as the, the as he enters into the, the presence of the king, he very simply just asks him, why is your countenance? Like, your countenance has never been like this before. What is going on right now? He wept for certain days. And so the Bible reminds us that she did not eat. And this is a very serious thing here. It, this begins to show that the mourning was very great, if you would. It, was, it wasn't a light situation for her. And so you begin to see that she's really just struggling. She doesn't know where to turn. She doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know why, probably. We'd be asking the question, why? We'd be asking the question, Lord, what have I done? We'd be wondering, what is the circumstances surrounding me? Why am I going through this? We would be asking that. So now we come not only to, to understand who her critic was and understand her circumstances, but now we see the final thing, which is her cry. Notice what the Bible says. Verse number 10, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me, not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. So you begin to see this prayer. And she, in the midst of this prayer, in verse number 11, makes this promise, I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And it came to pass as she continued praying. And we're going to get to that here in a few moments because that word continue is very important. But notice with me, if you would, her cry. Concerning her cry, you see a statement made in verse number 11 three different times. The statement is the words, thine handmaid. You see that it goes on and says, look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but we'll give unto thine handmaid a man child. So you see a couple of things concerning her cry. You see her posture. She was not coming to the Lord in an arrogant regard, if you would. 
As she was coming to the Lord in a humble manner, she understood that what she was trying to get uh, an understanding of and what prayer she was offering unto the Lord, she was doing it in a humble regard. She was not doing it saying, Lord, I deserve this. But she was saying to a holy God, Lord, this is my petition unto you, and you're the only one that can offer this. And so you see her posture. Her posture was that statement, thine handmaid, be revealing to her that she was nothing more than the Lord's servant. This morning, we see some truths concerning that because we are living in such an arrogant generation of people. We are living in a a day and age where we think we deserve more, and when we don't have what we think ought to be given to us, we get mad at God and think he's made a mistake. But notice her prayer. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, there it is. Thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, thy servant, if you would. And remember me and not forget thine handmaid. We'll give unto thine handmaid a man-child. Then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. You see her passion. Not only do you see as she is making herself humble in this regard, but she is passionate about this. In verse number 10, the Bible tells us that she was in bitterness of soul. That she wept sore. In verse number 11, the Bible tells us she vowed a vow. In verse number 13, the Bible says, Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And so in verse number 15, the Bible tells us she poured out her soul. And the Bible says, And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. So you begin to see that she was very passionate about this. You begin to realize in many of our prayers, whether it be for ourselves or for our children or whatever the case might be, sometimes we can just be so full of ourselves and so arrogant. Lord, I deserve this. But she comes to the Lord very humbly. She's very passionate about this prayer. One of the realities in many of our prayers is that our passion begins to wear off. That is why in verse number 12, that statement, it came to pass as she noticed this word continued. Her passion was persistent in all this. We are very passionate at certain times within our prayer life. You know what persistence speaks of? Persistence helps us to understand that it is not something that we are willing to budge on or willing to take without an answer. It is something that we are consistently given to because it is consistently on our minds. And as you begin to think about this statement right here, I love this quote by an individual. The quote is this, delay does not necessarily mean denial, but frequently it is simply a check on the dedication. Can I illustrate it for you for just a moment? You might be praying for just a few Days, the Lord is working your life and you begin to really offer up to prayer the Lord concerning you need God to provide a specific situation, whether it was a work or a job or whatever the case might be. And the Lord is you're offering those prayers. You're very passionate about it. Lord, I need you to provide. In the midst of all that, you offer those prayers. You're very passionate about it. A couple of days go on and you're tired of waiting on God, so you stop praying about it and you take matters in your own hand. All the while, the Lord was very simply willing to answer and was going to answer and was willing to show you, but you were not willing to wait on delay because you took it as denial. And God says, no, I just want to see how dedicated you are to this. 
does it really mean something? Every year in our leadership meeting, we offer many different ideas concerning new ministries that will be started. And many of you know this to be true, that I have said many times I'm not against any ministries being started, but I am unwilling to start all these ministries. And so until it becomes a true burden on a church member's heart, we can't start it. It is not a a message of denial. It is very simply a delay until we see a dedication to make sure that it is done effectively and make sure that it is not something done in such a way where it will be trampled on, quit, or just very simply lazily done. So we're waiting on dedication. It's not denial. It's just very simply delay until we see that dedication of that ministry. And I believe in many of our lives concerning the Lord and how he works, sometimes we take God saying, hold on for a few minutes, as though he has said no. But that's not always the case. Notice in this story right here, the Bible says, and she vowed a vow. Now, we understand for just a few moments that the Lord had shut up her womb. The Bible tells us that in verse number five. But she was passionate about this. She was going to keep praying. She was praying year after year after year. Now, think with me for just a moment. Year after year after year, she's praying for a man-child. The Lord hasn't denied it. He's just delayed it. And there comes a time when all of a sudden all that dedication is seen. We see the story unfold and we see this child by the name of Samuel come. And as she offers this petition unto the Lord, she asks specifically for a man-child. I don't know how many times we can stress this, but as God is specific, we need to be specific. I believe the Lord delights when we offer our prayer up up into him and do it in a way that we understand God desires to not hear just generic prayers, but get specific with the Lord, truly commune with the Lord. We see her promise, I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And then you come all the way to the very end. Verse number 27, for this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, also I have lent him to the Lord, as she stated she would do. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. And her praise is found in verse number 1 of chapter number 2. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. As you begin to think about this passage of Scripture, I remember, and many of you have been there, we've had some, in the last couple of years, some of you mothers who have recently been praying for children, and some of you might have had a miscarriage. You've recently found that you are expecting, and what a joy it is, my sister-in-law in Indiana just recently, they had battled and gone through a couple of miscarriages and been praying for that child that they have found that they're going to have. And uh, the baby is actually, I believe, due on my birthday. And so God bless my brother, right? I hope it is so I can give him the hardest time in the world. And as you begin to go back in your own mind, you begin to think back on those days when everything seemed as though it was falling apart and you're asking the Lord, why? I remember being there with Miss Kelly and asking that question why and getting upset at certain times and getting angry until the Lord began to give a peace that only God can give. I remember getting text messages from family. I remember getting hugs from many of you. I remember seeing many of you hugging her, but there was only a peace that God could provide that man could not give. 
And as her petition is offered, the Bible tells us in verse number one of chapter number two, and Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoiceth in the Lord. As you come to this passage of scripture, you see a lot here, but four things that I note, we close with this. Hannah was an individual that as you think about her, she prayed for this child. Many of you have prayed for the children that you have. Some of you might not have been praying for the child at the time. And uh, I remember when Miss Kelly and I found out that Jackson was going to be our firstborn and we were not, children was not on our radar at that time as far as praying for him. But the Lord knew we needed that child and what a blessing he's been. We started praying. The very first thing that we did, as soon as I saw Miss Kelly walk into the living room and I was just completely confused. I was like uh, Hannah's husband, why, why eatest thou not? Why, why are you crying? Why are you weeping? You know, confused, puzzled, playing with our dog at the time, who was just a couple weeks old, found out that she was expecting. We went to the, the, to the back and we began to pray and ask the Lord to bless this child and bless us and be with this child. Some of you have named your children and enjoyed that journey of trying to figure out what, uh, what name you're going to name your child. Some of you are in the season of staying with your child. Now you're also in the season of preparing your child. As you go to 1 Samuel chapter number 2, you find that the Lord, or this child Samuel, was given favor of the Lord and people. Hannah prayed for this child, named this child, stayed with this child, and prepared this child. Can I share with you... Moms and dads, not just moms this morning, your children need you. It's a great thing to pray for your children before you actually meet that child. It's another thing to pray for them when you have that child and seeing that child live. It's one thing to name that child. That's a, that's a, that's a, a wonderful thing. Staying with your children, but now preparing your children. Bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And I wonder this morning, are you doing one of those areas? Maybe you've named your child, but you haven't prayed for your child. And maybe you have named your child, but you aren't willing to stay with your child. And maybe you've named your child, but you're not willing to prepare your child. You're leaving it up to someone in the church or someone else. And can I share with you, someone will reach that child. But oh, the blessing if you can. And I wonder this morning, Maybe you've named them, but you're not willing to stay with them and pray for them and prepare them. Could I encourage you? Your children might get mad at you. They might say they don't love you. They might say that they didn't like you. They might say you don't do anything for them. Just remember, they're a bunch of liars. They need you. They need you. Lord, we do thank you this morning. Lord, I pray that you would be with us, Lord. I pray that you would be the mothers that are represented. Maybe there's some mothers who are battling some of those circumstances that we mentioned earlier. No doubt times are getting worse and worse, but Lord, you're still wonderful and still faithful. Maybe there's some mothers who are comparing themselves to other mothers, and Lord, they need to give that to you and just help you or allow you to bring them along and help them. Maybe there's some mothers who are struggling with time and energy, and maybe they're trying to make some decisions, but Lord, they haven't bathed their children in prayer. They aren't spending time with their children. They're not preparing their children. I, I don't know. Lord, I pray that you would help us to all acknowledge our mothers and thank the Lord for our mothers. I pray that you would help us this morning. Guide us and direct us. We'll thank you for it. 
porch in Jesus' name we do pray.